We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed in the league in which 14 of the 24 teams make the playoffs well if you don't at least make the playoffs in major league soccer you have failed regardless of your circumstances it doesn't matter if you're an expansion team or an mls original there's no excuse not to be competitive in major league soccer sure there are challenges unique to your different markets but you can't have it both ways Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the separation between success and failure that is the MLS playoff line in our Mossy Makes the Case segment. Mossy's going to be talking about the FIFA Best Awards. Our Ask Alexi segment, we'll be talking about hair. And in our Back 3 segment, we'll be talking about Christian Pulisic and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you, Mossy, on this Monday morning? I am good. The scheduling gods did Michigan a favor this past weekend, pitting us against your alma mater, <laughs> Rutgers. Yeah, I got a lot of calls uh, after your Wolverines beat up on uh, my Scarlet Knights over there. We're here to, you know, get, make you guys feel better about yourselves as you go along because everybody else is against you. And, and you know, we, we, we give people that opportunity. One unrelated note, we're taping this on a Monday. Tomorrow, the Diego Maradona documentary premieres on HBO. I saw it in the theater last week. It is magnificent. I cannot recommend it enough. I cannot wait. I know you talked about it, and you were excited to see it, and immediately you were sending out texts and stuff. So it's as good as the promo has made it out to be. Absolutely. Maybe even better. I cannot wait. I will be watching it tomorrow, so I'll have my review uh, of it next week. Uh, For those of you that are watching, speaking of it, because I know some people listen, some people uh, watch, you will notice that we are continuing to evolve and to grow and I think to get better in terms of our surroundings here. We have a new Charlie Rose-esque type of table here, round table now, puts you on a much more even par, which is, I don't know, good or bad, but uh, you know, you're, you're at the table now. You're at the big boy table here, okay? But the, uh, the State of the Union continues to evolve. Uh, as they, you know, we talked about last week the, the, the painting. We're going to get some bookcases in here and all sorts of other stuff. So it's a, it's a work in progress. But I promised it to you, and it is starting to happen. You can see it before your eyes. It smells like, smells like paint. Well, what else did you do this weekend? Anything? No, Bundesliga, and then yeah. just relax otherwise. How about the I, I just came from uh, LAX, the uh, TMZ guy uh, that gets me each and every time that I get off the plane because he knows exactly where I am. He, you know, he follows online. They all have their inside sources over there, those TMZ uh, guys. So, and he's, he's very cool, and he's, he's very respectful and everything like that, and he knows that I'll, I'll give him whatever he wants. Say so he wanted to talk about Christian Pulisic, and we're going to talk about a little bit of that later on, but that's a, that's a big story. And the other story is that we're recording this on a Monday, the um, 
the NCAA uh, new rule in, our, in the state that we live in here in California, how that may or may not affect athletes, and in particular, want to know about how it will impact, uh, impact soccer players, which I'm not sure it, it does so much, but who knows. I am off to LAX after this to pick up my mother who is visiting for the week. Oh, is she staying with you or you go to a hotel? Hotel. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, well, we always love it uh, when, uh, when all of our mothers uh, visit, as long as they stay in a hotel. All right. Shall we uh, light this candle? Yep. All right. As you know, each and every week, we kick the pod off with... Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes a little something like this. Major League Soccer's playoff line separates success from failure. For some teams, making MLS playoffs is an achievement. For other teams, it's simply a minimum expectation. But in a league that manufactures parity with salary and roster restrictions, in a league that doesn't have promotion relegation and therefore the pressure associated with it, and in a league in which 14 of the 24 teams make the playoffs, well, if you don't at least make the playoffs in Major League Soccer, you have failed, regardless of your circumstances. The good news is, failure is much more easily overcome in a league like MLS. It's a league that, by design, bends over backwards to enable teams to succeed and be competitive. You can go from worst to first in a year. We've seen new MLS teams come into the league and take vastly different approaches, resulting in vastly different fortunes. Expansion teams like Atlanta, LAFC, and Seattle have come in all guns blazing, and they were immediately competitive and successful. But we've also seen a soft launch approach like Minnesota, Cincinnati, and Orlando that's produced teams that have struggled to compete. But it doesn't matter if you're an expansion team or an MLS original. There's no excuse not to be competitive in Major League Soccer. Relative to almost all other leagues around the world, that separation between the haves and the have-nots, that doesn't exist. Sure, there are challenges unique to your different markets, but you can't have it both ways. You can't bathe in the security of a structure that goes out of its way to mitigate risk and promote parity, but then make excuses when you fail to achieve the minimum level of success and expectation. And the MLS playoff line, that's the minimum. All right, Mossy, there's my State of the Union for uh, this week, coming off of the penultimate weekend of regular season play. Everybody jockeying for those playoff uh, spots. Agree or disagree when it comes to that playoff line in terms of my separation from success and failure? Well, first of all, let me ask, is there a franchise in particular that inspired that State of the Union that is going to miss the playoffs this season and has tried to spin it as something other than a failure? Oh, each and every year you have people that oh, were in the midst of a long-term plan or we had so many injuries or, oh, you know, whatever, the stars didn't align or whatever it ends up being. And, and I understand that. Coaches do that. Players do that. Uh, front office people do that. Uh, but nobody goes into any season in any league obviously wanting to fail. But as I said in my State of the Union, no, in Major League Soccer – because they prop you up so much. And look, that, that's a whole other discussion and a debate. And there's a lot of people that actually point to a lot of that as part of the problem with Major League Soccer. But as long as it exists, then you, you benefit from that. But you can't come to me then and say, well, you know, we're in a long-term plan or, oh, it's not really a failure. No, you didn't make the playoffs. Even if you're a first-year team, you didn't make the playoffs. Is that harsh on a team like Cincinnati that's horrible? No, I don't think so. It's not harsh because we've seen other teams that have come in, and not just teams 10 years ago, teams that have come in and with being smart about what they do, they've been able to keep, compete right away. And that's what the league is structured to do. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I do believe in the concept of a rebuilding year, a transition year, playing young players, taking a step back so you can take two steps forward. But the way MLS is structured, you ought to still be able to be competitive even, even in the midst of that. Yeah, but even if you're in a transition year, and I'm not saying you can't have a, a plan, and you should have a plan. 
But even if you're in a transition year, not making the playoffs, it's okay still to say that was a failure. And it's okay to look at yourself in that moment and reassess, are we doing the right things? Do we have the right personnel on and off the field that are doing the things to get us out on that uh, on that other side? But you know, once again, I, I look at it from a a customer standpoint. I know sometimes people uh, criticize me because they think I look at it too much from a business perspective, but I ultimately look at it from a product perspective and giving the customer what they want. And what the customer wants is a team that they can be proud of, a team that's going to compete, in particular in a team like MLS. And if you haven't given that to them because you haven't made the playoffs, then it's okay to call it out and say, that was a failure. And sure, there's extenuating services. I can get excuses from every single team, regardless of league or country out there. But in, the, in, you know, in this case, when it comes to that, that line of separation, and we talk so much about the, the relegation line, and, and I'm not you know, bringing up, we're not, this is not going to be a promotion relegation podcast or anything like that, because that, that deserves much more than just uh, one segment. It deserves a whole podcast. But but when we talk about that relegation line that people talk about so much as, as making it that much more competitive and making it competitive in a way that, that MLS, because it doesn't have it, uh, it, it doesn't have, that line, there should be lines. And there should be lines. Uh, there should be lines where, that separate success from failure. And by the way, uh, and I know our, our good friend Grant Wall said that there are teams, and he's absolutely right in this, there are teams that make the playoffs where that shouldn't be a success. I understand what he's saying, which is why I said it's, it's the minimum level of success. But I think he looks at some teams and says, there are teams that are so good, uh, and we have such high expectations for them that making the playoffs shouldn't even be celebrated, I guess, and shouldn't even be viewed as a success. I'm not, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think even if you're the best team in the league, making the playoffs, while it may be an expectation on, on from internally and externally, you can still recognize that as a step to the ultimate success and a success along the way. We should say, uh, going into the final round, all seven playoff spots in the East have been claimed. There are two still up for grabs in yep. the West. Portland and Dallas have the inside track on them, but San Jose and Colorado still alive. Portland faces San Jose in the last round. That is the most compelling match on decision day. Uh, one team that is going to be in the playoffs is LAFC. And last week, with our producer Alex Dowd in attendance, they clinched the Supporter Shield. They did. Which has triggered that age-old debate mm -hmm. about the merits of the Supporter Shield relative to MLS Cup. I said something about this a couple of weeks ago, sort of in passing, and some people took issue with it. So I do want to flesh out my thoughts a little bit more fully. But I, I'll let you go first on this. I know you have very strong opinions on this. Okay, moment. so first off, just let me make sure that everybody is, understands when I say success and failure, okay? And just so there's no question as to who's a failure. Chicago Fire, failure. Montreal <laughs> Impact, failure. Columbus Crew, failure. Orlando City, failure. FC Cincinnati, failure. Right now, Sporting KC, failure. Houston Dynamo, failure. Vancouver Whitecaps, failure. On the brink of being a failure right now, San Jose and Colorado. All right, when it comes to the actual supporter shield, first off, Congratulations to LAFC. Uh, what they have done from start to finish is something to applaud, is something to praise. Having said that, they play in a league, and they knew it from the start, as did all of their, uh, their fans, where it's about MLS Cup. Quick, who won last year's Supporters Shield? All right, it's very difficult for people to remember it because what is the most important thing in Major League Soccer? MLS Cup. That's where the confetti is. That's how you are remembered. And the good teams win Supporters Shield. The great teams win Supporters Shield and are able to recognize a way to parlay that into winning MLS Cup. And there's not a lot of them when you look at the history. And that's part of the deal. I happen to love playoffs. And as long as playoffs are part of this league that I love, 
okay? I am gonna talk about MLS Cup. It doesn't mean that you can't celebrate and be happy that you won Supporters Shield, but don't ask me to care or necessarily to remember because you won Supporter Shield, if you then don't go on and win MLS Cup. It is about winning MLS Cup. And does it mean that some teams that were mediocre can find a way to get hot at the right moment and win MLS Cup? Yes, but don't come to me because you knew from the start that this was the case. And you know who complains about this? Or you know who celebrates the Supporter Shield? Teams that then didn't go on and win MLS Cup. And so, so when I say that, I know the LAFC folks are off celebrating their, uh, their supporter shield. And they should. they should. They should scream and yell about it and be very happy and have that celebration and do all, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, when it comes to 2019, it's not going to be about LAFC and winning the supporter shield. It's going to be about LAFC if they win MLS Cup or it's going to be about who ultimately won MLS Cup. Yeah, I mostly agree. My feeling is when MLS folks sit down to devise a format, if the priority was crowning the best team, you wouldn't have a playoff. You would do running table like virtually every country in the world. There's no question that method is more conducive to having the quote-unquote best team win the title. By choosing to have a playoff, they're telling you they value the excitement and the drama of the postseason more than they do crowning the best team. You can disagree with that. You can hate it. You can think it's nonsense. But as long as that's the format, MLS Cup is the thing to win it. I don't understand how anybody under this format could still try to argue in favor of the supporter shield. To me, it's akin to an NFL player saying they'd rather have the best regular season record than to win the Super Bowl. Why do you it say makes it's the no best sense. team? Why, is the, why, isn't it, why isn't it crowning the best team? Yeah, th again, I said we mostly agree. This is where we differ. To me, playoffs in soccer because they're such a randomness to an individual game it's a mechanism to increase the chances of somebody other than the best team winning it and so I think the rest of the world has this the right way which is you have your knockout competitions parallel to the league and those provide uh, that unpredictability and Cinderella stories but you do want to have some competition where you feel like you're crowning the best team in your league and I think MLS which already as you mentioned has a structure geared towards parity and leveling out the playing field with the salary cap and roster restrictions to then throw this Russian roulette playoff on top of it I'm not it's a fan not, of that no, the, the best team in major league soccer okay in the same way that the best team in the nfl or any other leagues that have playoffs is the one that ultimately is there at the at the end now is look when we when we look at major league soccer once again when you start nobody says that you have to win supporter shield nobody says that you have to be the best team in the regular season okay this is the structure that you are playing in so why is it not the best team ultimately that is standing there winning mls cup for you because I think having the best record over a longer period, it's a longer sample size. Like I said, there's such a randomness to an individual soccer game that you could go out and have a bad day and lose, but you sort of proved yourself over a nine-month period that you were the best team. I, look, I'm not saying now, – now, this is where I get back to the other side when it comes to the customer, okay? The team that – you know, for example, LAFC. You can argue that LAFC gave their customers a more quality product – than other teams. And possibly whoever wins MLS Cup, if it's somebody other than LAFC, you can argue that they gave their customers a much better product over the course of the year of 2019 because, because of what they did. I can, I can argue that. But the best team, because you play in MLS, is still the MLS Cup winner. It's interesting. We cover the Bundesliga sure. for now. 
And a couple of years ago, there was a lot of hand-wringing over the fact that Bayern was winning these right. league titles by 20 points. And some German officials suggested, why not have a playoff? But again, it was in the context of, we know Bayern are the best team. Let's come up with some format that at least gives somebody other than the best team a fighting chance to win a league title. So Wait in that second. in that Wait respect, it was second. sort of a Apples mechanism. Apples to oranges, my friend. You're comparing the <laughs> Bundesliga to Major League Soccer. I just did a whole uh, State of the Union explaining that it was founded on the premise of, we're going to manufacture manufacture parity in everything that we do. And now you're talking to me about the Bundesliga? And by the way, Mossy, not for nothing, but everybody can poo-poo and you can have all the snobbery out there when it comes to playoffs. You, if, if they had playoffs over there, they would be more successful than anything that we have ever seen. Well, it's, they do have them for promotion yes. from the championship to the sure. and everybody loves sure. it. So everybody that, loves, that sort, of, loves sort of backs playoffs. up your point exactly. for all the snobbery. Uh, you know, if the uh, Bundesliga all of a sudden said we have playoffs, that would get that would, that would be incredibly exciting. It's funny. I have I have sort of a contradictory take here. I would scrap the playoffs. In my view, LAFC should have clinched the title the other night with Alex Dowd in attendance. But <laughs> as long as you're going to have the playoffs, then I wouldn't have the supporter shield. To me, that's trying to have your cake and eat it too. Just own the fact that you're a league that believes in the playoffs. And regular season success is only relevant in so much as it sets you up for success in the playoffs in terms Wait of buys sec. and seating and home Plus, field advantage. You're all I think over it's over the place I today. You are you place. are a man of the world. You are a cultured <laughs> cultured cosmopolitan. <laughs> type of figure me, out there. You you love the, the the game of soccer, the football, and all that kind of stuff. And in and then we so I'm watching the EPL, and they're giving away a shield in one game before the season even starts. They everybody loves trophies and shields and stuff like that. The more the better. Every, what, do, what do coaches and players talk about at the beginning of the season? Oh, we want to win silverware. Want to win silverware. Well, how do you win silverware if there's no silverware out there? <laughs> Oh, Mossy, Mossy, Mossy. All right, so ultimately, uh, what have we decided? We've decided and named publicly the losers. Uh, and when I say, I shouldn't say losers, but the failures, right? I think that's where, where we established the failures out there. Uh, a couple other uh, decisions to, uh, to be made when it comes to who's failing or succeeding out there. And we've also established that you're a big LAFC fan. But so San Jose uh, get into the playoffs mm -hmm. in this last weekend and then get hot, go on and win MLS Cup. You will come out of the 2019 MLS season uh, feeling like San Jose has a better claim to have been the best team in MLS this year than the LAFC? Yeah. They won, they won MLS Cup. <laughs> I'm not going to remember that LAFC did it, okay? I mean, it, it, you know, Atlanta, Atlanta did and Toronto did and stuff like that. And, and, but, but here's the other thing, though. If LAFC do, because by the way, first of all, they're, they're on the verge of a, a million different things. We're going to talk more about this, but they're on the verge of getting the record in terms of amount of points for a season, right? If they do parlay that supporter shield into winning MLS Cup, then I'm going to make the argument that it's the best MLS team in history. Okay, so and I know with, with the subjective nature of what the best is, I can't tell you, I've, I say this a million times, I can't tell you what the best is any more than you can tell me what the best is when it comes to a team, when it comes to a league, when it comes to a sport, when it comes to a, a, a human being, a wine, a food, whatever it end, ends up being. It's whatever, it's whatever you like and, and whatever you make a case for. So you've cased case for a million different things uh, <laughs> o over your time. All right, anything else before we move on? Speaking of cases. Uh, no. All right, it. moving on. Hello, people. Alexi here. More of the State of the Union podcast is on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out, Fox Soccer Match Pass. 
With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from Major League Soccer, the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more, all on your favorite devices. And the best part, it's all ad-free, and you can cancel at any time. So check out foxsoccermatchpass.com and get started with a seven-day free trial today. Now, back to the show. Mossy makes the case. All right, yes, since we are speaking of cases, it's that time once again when uh, my good friend David Mossy uh, makes his case. What are you casing for this week, David? My case is that last week, FIFA denied the Premier League the coronation it was hoping for. Over the last decade, uh, Spanish clubs have dominated European competitions, and that's been reflected in the end-of-year awards with Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo essentially passing the FIFA Player of the Year and the Ballon d'Or back and forth to each other. It's also been reflected in these world best 11s that have been filled with Real Madrid and Barcelona players. But last season, the Premier League turned the tables in a major way. We witnessed the most dominant season that any domestic league has ever had in Europe, featuring an all-English Champions League final and an all-English Europa League final. And last week, the FIFA Best Awards were supposed to be a night for Premier League fans to revel in that. But somebody forgot to tell the folks that vote on these (laughs) FIFA awards. Jurgen Klopp did deservedly win Manager of the Year, but Lionel Messi beat out Virgil van Dijk for Player of the Year. And the FIFA Pro 11 that was announced contained only one outfield player who currently plies his trade in the Premier League in Virgil van Dijk. Allison was the goalkeeper. As expected, uh, that's led to a major outcry in England, talk of a Barcelona-Real Madrid bias, and even some conspiracy theories regarding voting manipulation. Wow. Whatever the case, I do think fans of the Premier League, which clearly has the belt now as the best league in the world, do have a right to feel aggrieved because in this instance, to the victors did not go the spoils. Wow. Uh, Okay, so you named a a bunch of different things there. I think that this is, I do think that there is a bias because anytime you deal with human beings, and uh, unless I hear differently, I think human beings voted on this, correct? Yes. So we have human beings, and as I say each and every time, human beings all come with their biases and their baggages and their histories, and uh, it will impact the things that they're doing. And they can talk about being fair, and they can talk about being unbiased, but we're human beings, and that's what we are going to do. I think this is also a, um, you know, some, uh, sometimes in our country we talk about American exceptionalism and the, the good and the bad about American exceptionalism. I think there's a feeling and a way of looking at what England has is doing, what England is in the world, what England is, more importantly, in Europe, uh, and what England has done. And I think it has bred some resentment. I think it has bred some insecurity. And I think that these types of awards, while they're just sports awards and all that kind of stuff, they are an opportunity for those that feel they have been either shoved to the side or not given their due, or just the natural human nature of you know, wanting to see people at the top stumble and fall, and they have this power of being able to vote and, and, and do that. And I think that that, 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 plays, that plays out, because I still think that there is a, a, it's not a snobbery, but it is a belief that while I think we can all agree it's the most popular league in the world, the EPL. I think it's one of the most, if not the most entertaining league that leagues in the world, which is why it is so popular in the way that the, the, the things that they have done. But I think that there is still a, a snobbery and a belief that the way that they play, despite the Champions League success and stuff like that, the way that they play is still not, obviously not continental, but it's not as refined as warrants this type of adulation that you're talking about. 
You know, it's funny. Over the last decade, whenever people have tried to concoct an argument for somebody other than Messi and Ronaldo to win these awards, in my view, they've leaned too heavily on team success. It is an individual award. Team success can be a tiebreaker. I mentioned Messi and Ronaldo passing it back and forth to each other. It's generally been dictated by which of Real Madrid or Barcelona won the Champions League that year, and I'm fine with that. But to take a player who, if his team hadn't won such and such, wouldn't even be in the same league with those two and argue that they should win it, that's always felt like a stretch to me. But Virgil van Dijk, I know he's a defender, they're attacking players, it's hard to contextualize, but he was remarkable in the last year. And Liverpool won the Champions League, the Netherlands got to the final of the UEFA Nations League. You get so few chances to recognize a defender. So I love Messi, I'm a staunch Messi over Ronaldo guy, his brilliance is not lost on me. But this one hit me funny. Did you have an issue with Messi over van Dijk? No, because it's Messi. I mean, I, I don't think no matter what, you can't go wrong with Messi. And I think that there's the stature and the stardom and the names, not that person Van Dyke isn't, but compared to Messi, compared to Ronaldo, I think that that plays, in, that plays in, uh, into it when, when you were voting on individuals. I didn't have a, a problem, and I know I say that as a defender. I mean, we've, what, we've recognized more, not we, but the, the world has recognized Modric and Mosala and these types of players over the last few years. So it, yes, it has been dominated, but who's dominating, Mossy? Two of arguably the greatest players ever to play the game. And years down the line, we may say that they were even one and two as we get further and further away. And we may not even appreciate it in the moment. So I don't think it's out of the, out of the realm of possibility to do something like that. And just to explain the voting controversy. So this was voted on by national team coaches, national team captains, journalists, and fans. And uh, there were national team coaches and captains that claimed that their votes weren't counted, which led to suggestions that this was rigged for Messi to win. FIFA's put out a statement saying everything was above board. The votes that weren't counted were because the forms weren't filled out properly, but they wouldn't have affected the outcome. Right. But the big significant thing that came out of the voting is Van Dyke actually won among journalists. And later in the year, you're going to have the Ballon d'Or, and that's voted ex- exclusively by journalists. So uh, there is a feeling that Messi won this, but Van Dyke might win that. We'll see. Uh, but one larger point I do want to make here is I thought it was interesting. Klopp, Pep, and Pochettino finished one, two, three in the manager award, which to me speaks to something we've talked about on this podcast. In England, there's very much a culture where the managers are the bigger stars. Although Liverpool have great players like Salah and Van Dyke and City have De Bruyne and Aguero. I have to be honest, when I think of Liverpool, I think of Klopp before any player. When I think of City, I think of Pep before any player. And I think that seeps into the voting. When you go to sort of recognize those teams' achievements, you do it through the manager first. There's a sense that it's more about the system, the collective, than any one player having sort of a Messi-Ronaldo-esque sort of impact. Do you buy that? I buy it because what has happened by doing that, you have fundamentally changed not just the individual team that these coaches are, are coaching, so Pep uh, obviously for Man City and, uh, and Klopp for Liverpool, but you've changed the perception both domestically and internationally of the league. That's how important, that's how fundamental these types of uh, coaches have been because you know the way that we looked at the EPL, yes, it was popular, but the way that we look at it now has, I, 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 for lack of a better word, it's it's improved so much. And I think a lot of that directly correlates with the arrival of guys like Pep and Klopp. And I think they've been, I think they've been instrumental in not only having their teams become better, but moving forward the brand, if you will, of the EPL. And one more thing on the men, then we'll switch to the women. Uh, the FIFA Pro 11 was really weird because usually when a club like Liverpool wins the Champions League, they're going to be Mm well-represented in these best 11s, almost to an exaggerated degree sometimes. 
And Liverpool, I feel like, didn't get any bump here. The, again, the only outfield player was Van Dyke. And you have all these Real Madrid players in there. Real Madrid had an awful season. The fullbacks, uh, Marcelo, which is ridiculous. He wasn't even the best left back on Real Madrid last season. And then Sergio Ramos at right back, a position he hasn't played in years. You had Modric in the midfield. And, you know, some of these FIFA Pro selections are starting to feel like Derek Jeter gold gloves and things that you get based on <laughs> reputation. And, you know, you could have found a place for an Alexander-Arnold or a Robertson. Even, you know, the, the front three. I know it's hard to argue with Messi, Ronaldo. Alexander-Arnold and Robinson? Messi... Okay, the Van Dyke thing. 20 years from now, when you ask somebody, <laughs> who's Messi? Ask, you ask a kid, all right, who didn't grow up. You ask a kid, he's going to know or she's going to know who Messi is. They're not going to remember Van Dyke, okay? Wonderful player. One of, the, one of the best defenders that we have seen. Incredible, okay? But that's what's being reflected here. And in a strange way, the voters that you ha are taking issue with right now they are not being blinded. They are not being blinded by the success of the actual team. And they are doing, ultimately, what we really want, which is not to say, well, he or she plays for a great team, and therefore he or she uh, must be great. They are picking and choosing and taking, and taking people out and not saying, just because you won Champions League Van Dyke, you are the best player out there. Am I wrong? Maybe. No, that's fair. Yeah, the front three, too, it's hard to argue with Messi, Ronaldo, and Mbappe. But again, it, to recognize Liverpool, you could have... Uh, found a place for a Salah or a Mane on that team. Uh, then but, who are uh, you taking out? It's tough. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. tough when you go. Um, when you... We'll end on this. It was also a big night for the U.S. women's national team because Joe Ellis won for best women's manager of the year and Megan Rapino won the player of the year. And believe it or not, Rapino that wasn't devoid of controversy either. We've talked about this disconnect in terms of the club versus country in the women's game. And last year when Ada Hegerberg won the Ballon d'Or, our colleague Heather O'Reilly tweeted that this is ridiculous. How could a player that doesn't represent our national team win the Ballon d'Or? This year, it was the opposite. There were European journalists sort of bristling at how can a player that plays so few matches at club level win this award? Now, in a World Cup year, I think that argument swings the U.S.'s way. And I think you have to recognize a player like Rapino having the World Cup that she did. I think she should have won it. Uh, what do you make of that? And just in general, Rapino winning at a time when there's so much, you know, swirling around her. All right. This is going to be spoken as someone who has lived and has great experience with the way that a World Cup can shape perception of a player. Okay. You said that Megan Rapino deserved it, okay? In what way? You already, I already mentioned that she hasn't played a lot of games from a club perspective. So if you just look at club, it's not even a question that she, right. that she didn't deserve it, okay? So then, obviously, it's the World Cup, right? Right. Okay. Megan Rapino, and if she was here, like I, I, I know Megan Rapino. It's not as if Megan Rapino had a great World Cup, okay? She scored the penalties and did and and, and did what she needed to do. It's Megan, but it's Megan Rapino, and it's what Megan Rapino represented, and it's everything. It's not just the fact that she scored goals. It's not just the fact that they w won the World Cup. If Megan Rapinoe wasn't Megan Rapinoe, this doesn't happen. And that's not a knock on her. Great player, incredible, incredible person. All the things that she is doing uh, for herself and for the game, uh, admirable and should, and should be celebrated. But she is 25 years, people are going to remember Megan Rapinoe, okay? Most of the other names out there, people aren't going to remember because of the personality that she is, the character that she is, the platform that she has, and the way that she used that platform. And yes, the fact that she scores gold. And yes, the fact that she plays on the U.S. And yes, the fact that she you know, had Twitter battles with the President of the United States. All, all of this kind of stuff, that, that mattered in terms of this, uh, of this vote. And that, but when I say that, 
I'm not saying necessarily that, that that shouldn't matter because once again, it goes right back to what we started the podcast talking about. What is the best? It's, it's subjective and whatever, whatever you think, it could be because of the way that this person kicks the ball. It could be because of this way, the way this person carries themselves. Could be a combination of all of those different things. So the quote unquote controversy out there with this, that's what award shows are often about. They're never going, well, not never, but oftentimes they're not going to be unanimous because you're dealing once again with human beings, Mossy. Right? That's correct. You don't have to agree with me. <laughs> All right. Anything else, Mossy, about the uh, best? What do we call them? The, the FIFA Best Awards? Is that what it is? Yes. They, they were, the ceremony was held in Milan at uh, the Scala Theater, which Ooh, I'm sure you're uh, nice. familiar with. No, I saw all the pictures. It looked, it looked gorgeous. And, and by the way, congratulations to all of them, Megan Rapino, to uh, all the uh, U.S. players that got named on the Best 11. And it, sounded, it looked like a, a fun time for all of them uh, was had. And deserving for what they've done. And once again, the way that World Cup has shaped perception of them individually, of the team, and of the sport. All right, anything else, Mossy? Nope. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. All right, it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the uh, platforms, and uh, we'll pick a few of them and uh, read them off, as Mossy is about to do right here. What are the people asking about this week, Mossy? First up, at Werner Ramirez. Can you remind us your criteria for MVP again? I remember it was something along the lines of goals minus penalty kick goals, but I cannot remember the rest. Who do you currently have between Zlatan, Vela, and Martinez? Okay, so each and every year now, and I've been doing this for, gosh, 10 years. You know Paul Carr, uh, a, a wonderful man who I've worked with over the years. Uh, he has helped me in this annual tradition of putting together my list because Major League Soccer, we were talking about bests and all that kind of stuff. Major League Soccer comes to the MLS MVP. They don't give you criteria. Uh, and so I am left to my own devices. I can make up my own criteria, which is what I did almost 10 years ago now because I wanted to be transparent and, and have everybody understand why I was making my pick the way I was. So, all right, so I, as I said, it is subjective because MLS gives you, purposely gives you no criteria. And so I wanted to uh, make sure that, that I had something out there. All right, so number one, when my, uh, for my MLS MVP criteria, uh, it's all about goal scorers. All right, scoring a goal is the only way to win a game. So there is nobody more valuable than those who do it. That's number one. So your Virgil van Dijk, he would be you know what? Out of luck. Sorry. That's the way it, that's the way it goes. Uh, number two, as would goalkeepers out there. So go ahead at me. Bring it on. It happens every year. Number two, uh, it's not about how many goals you score. It's about how many different games you score in because I value a player who is consistently scoring in more games, even though his season total in goals might not give him the golden boot. And I think I've said this before, but I look at the extraordinary value of walking on the field and knowing that in the bank you already are winning 1-0 because of a history of a player scoring in game after game after game. That's why Joseph Martinez this year, his 15-game streak that he had was so amazing. I'll get to that in a, in a second. Uh, number three, I don't count penalties. Uh, they just don't hold the same value to me as uh, all other goals. And I think that penalties, as, as you know, uh, should be a separate statistical column because I think they can warp perception uh, and I think they can skew the assessment of a player. That's three. And number four, 
yeah, you have to make the playoffs. So I would never vote for somebody that did not make the playoffs in a league where over half the team in Major League Soccer, half the, t- half the teams make the playoffs. At the very least, I believe a league MVP should be uh, from a playoff team. So that's my criteria. So when I, when I put that all in and I give that to Paul Carr each and every year, we have this little, uh, little talk uh, and it spits it back out. The usual suspects came up. So it was uh, Vela, Ibra, and uh, Joseph Martinez at the top. And what it comes down to, because Joseph Martinez is out, is when I, when I uh, put it all in and spit it back out, and we will know then ultimately my MVP next week, is that right now Vela is 18 games in which he is scored in that was not a penalty. Obviously, he's making the playoffs, so he fits all of that criteria. And Zlatan is 17 games, okay? So what that means, ladies and gentlemen, is at the, this weekend when the final games are played, conceivably, we could have a tie for the first time in my calculation. At which point, I think, and I think I've said this in the past, that I would then go to, I, can't, I don't know if I should go to assists or I should then take into account penalties. So that's my dilemma right here, all right, if it ends up being a tie. But right now, Vela is my MVP because of the criteria, and that's what spits it out. So it could change this weekend regarding on how they play, and it could be tied, and then we might have to go to a tiebreaker. So let me know uh, out there, Werner, whoever else out there, what you think I should use as the tiebreaker, if that's where we are. All right, next up, at NUSMNT, what do you think happens with Dest? So Gino Dest, uh, the young, very young, 18-year-old Ajax player, a uh, Dutch-American, I guess it would be, that's what you would say, Uh, so a dual national has played for the U.S. national team under Greg Berhalter, but has not played yet in a game that would cap-tie him. That is coming up. Potentially, he could play here for uh, the U.S. in the uh, games coming up against Canada and Cuba. Uh, I don't know anything other than what I read and what I've heard. uh, Rumors flying out there that he still is on the radar and still is in contact with the Dutch national team. I I likened it to this this first date or second date when we we had him. We were both trying to figure out if this was something that we wanted to do. Because just just because he's playing at Ajax doesn't necessarily mean that he should be playing for Greg Berhalter in the national team. I think he's of quality enough and he showed enough where we want to go on a second and third date. But he's got a hell of a suitor over there in the, in the Dutch talking about it. That's a long way of saying, I think if there is any chance of him playing in the Dutch setup, he is going to take that over, uh, over the U.S. And if and when he chooses the U.S., it would be because we are the, the, the second choice, but he didn't have a first choice. Yeah, my feeling in these situations is if you have a country that you strongly identify with whether he considers himself more American or Dutch, he should play for that country regardless of any footballing considerations. If that makes me a naive romantic when it comes to international football, fair enough. But I love uh, it. It just it, but it does make you a naive uh, romantic, yes. But I do recognize there are situations that aren't that simple. There are people that through their life experiences genuinely identify with two countries sure. more or less equally. And when that's a wash, then you do get into the footballing considerations. It takes on a dimension of almost like a college recruiting process with a high school football or basketball player. And then it's about the coach, the style of play, playing time, your chances to win. And yeah, as you mentioned, a lot of those we have to admit are uh, tilted towards the Netherlands. They, they went through their struggles. They missed a couple of major tournaments, but they look like they're on their way back now. They got to the final of the Nations League. They beat France, Germany, and England in that competition. They just beat Germany in a Euro 20 qualifier. He'd be playing in a back line alongside the likes of Virgil van Dijk and Matthias de Litt. 
playing for a legend in Ronald Koeman. And, you know, there is some symmetry there in playing for Ajax and playing for the Dutch national team. But I think two cards the U.S. can play is the loyalty card. He's uh, much more integrated in the U.S. system. He's played at youth level for the U.S., played in youth World Cups. And also, I mean, this is a backhanded compliment, but when you're fighting for a player against a superior soccer nation, playing time. Sure. I think there's, over the next 10 years, there's more of a chance of him establishing himself as like an automatic first-choice player for the U.S. Because the U.S. isn't as good? Yeah, in terms of producing <laughs> players, you know. Um, well, say it then. I mean, yes. maybe he's so good that he can play for the Dutch. Well, yeah. Look, that's... I, I, to, to your point about it's easy to say you should play for the one that moves you. And I've said that before. And I, I, I love that sentiment. But I'm also realistic. And I understand, as you said, that you can have two teams pulling you equally. But I do think that if you don't feel something for whatever team you finally do choose, it, it will manifest itself at some point. And if you are simply a mercenary, it cannot be sustained. <laughs> and so um, if he picks the U.S., I hope he picks it because there was something to something not. It wasn't just about playing time. It was about something more and something that he felt. It doesn't have to be completely out of this world, but there has to be some sort of spark and fire. And it's not just about this is the quickest and easiest path for me to play international soccer and to get to a, a World Cup. And even that at times, uh, given what's happened over the last couple of years, is not assured. All right, what else? Yes, we'll end with the obligatory fun one. <laughs> at the underscore real underscore show, if you could, would you grow your hair out again like you did in the 90s? Hashtag Viking hair. Hashtag Viking hair. Yeah, never has so much been accomplished with uh, a lot of hair and a modicum of talent. Yeah, hair was a big, it was a big deal. And it is, it, in, a game, in a game like soccer, where we don't have helmets, and we're not covered up with hats or anything, anything like that, hair is always and continues to be a part of the game in a, in a way that, that doesn't necessarily apply to... Uh, to other sports. If I could grow it back again, I don't know. I think I think you look like you're trying to you're trying too hard. You're trying to it's not, it's not that you're trying to be young. Everybody wants to be young and tries to do things to make themselves feel or look younger. That's that's okay. But it was such a part of who I was and and the image of everything like that. I don't think I and I've been there. I don't need to I don't need to visit it again. So even if I could, I'm not sure that I would. I wish I could. I wish I at least had the option of doing it. Yeah, but no, I don't think that that would uh, that would happen again. So, although you know, there's you know, when I see guys like Carlos Valderrama or I see my friend uh, Marcelo Balboa, he's still sporting the manes, all flying all over the place. There's a little part of me that's uh, a little bit jealous. All right, anything else in the Ask Alexi segment? Uh, no, that is it. All right, well, make sure you use that hashtag Ask Alexi uh, when you're uh, sending out those questions on all the social media platforms. And each and every week, we grab a few of them like we just did, and uh, we will read them off on the air. The Back Three. Okay, it's time for our Back Three, some big stories and games and moments in the world of soccer, either on or off the field. What do we got in this week's Back Three, Mossy? Right, we begin with the Christian Pulisic saga. 
<laughs> which we've talked about a lot in the last couple of weeks, but it keeps on snowballing. Another DNP this past weekend against Brighton, a match Chelsea won 2-0. He has not seen the field in four of their last five games. The only exception was a League Cup match against fourth-tier Grimsby Town. This whole situation's gotten very toxic on Twitter. You have U.S. fans up in arms accusing Lampard of being anti-American. Then you have Europeans <laughs> sort of pushing back against that, calling U.S. fans naive and entitled and hysterical. Where do you land on all that? Okay, first off, Christian Pulisic is not playing because he's American, okay? You can dismiss that. Coaches will play who uh, they think are going to be enable them to keep their jobs. You know, I mentioned that I was at LAX and the TMZ guys were asking, and they were asking about it. And this is a question that I didn't think we would be asking or, or certainly asking this at this moment in, in, uh, in time. Do you think there is a scenario where the Chelsea adventure, shall we say, excursion that he's on, comes to an end soon. I mean, I'm talking, if it's just not happening, do they stick? I mean, this is a team that's notorious in terms of loaning out players. Do they stick? Or could you conceive of a situation where in January he goes someplace else? It's not outside the realm of possibility, but unlikely. They did spend a lot of money for him. They're going to give him a full season to see if he comes good. But, but they're not giving him a full season. <laughs> if he's not playing, then they're not giving him any yeah, season to see if he comes good. Yeah. So, yeah, this is it's it's fascinating because, you know, once again, all of our insecurities are on display and, and how it relates to America and the American player and the American game and what it says or what it doesn't say. Or is this a referendum <laughs> on uh, how good he is or isn't? And this is this is a... This is, we can call him a kid. He's not really a kid, okay? He's grown up in a, a high-pressure and very, very organized and world-renowned type of system in uh, Borussia Dortmund. He's played Champions League. He's played in big games. He's played internationally. So nothing is new to him in terms of the way that the ball is kicked. And I know everyone talks, well, maybe he's just not good enough for the EPL. Well, maybe he's just not good enough for Chelsea, which would apply to a lot of different players, Okay. I don't buy it. He's not good enough for the EPL. Okay, so what is why? Why? Because they're stronger, they're taller. What? What? What is it? No, he's just he's in a brand new situation and a different circumstances. And yes, hey, this is a talented human being that we looked at in a certain situation and circumstance, and we extrapolated it out, and then we put him in a completely different circumstance and situation, and it's not the same. Okay, that on in and of itself and on the surface shouldn't be surprising that it's all soccer. Yes, but I don't think it's because, well, it's not because he's not talented. Everybody recognizes whether even if you hate Americans, you can still recognize and admit that Christian Pulisic is a talented soccer player. It just might not be the right fit. And it wouldn't be the first great player to go someplace and struggle and not have it work. And it wouldn't also be the first scenario where a great player goes someplace, struggles, doesn't work, and then goes someplace else, and it does work. And what, and that, that someplace might even still be in England. Who knows? It could be someplace else. I'll defend U.S. fans in this regard. I do think there's a little bit of snobbery in that had Chelsea paid that kind of money for a highly touted Brazilian or Argentine starlet and then buried him on the bench, Brazilians and Argentines would be up in arms, and I think that anger would be better received. There is a sense of... Who are Americans to question something going on at Chelsea? 
Uh, so I think there is a little bit of that going on. But I will say the thing I keep coming back to with Pulisic, he needs to be more productive. Uh, he did register an assist in that Grimsby Town game, but would it have killed him to score a goal in a, a game against a fourth-tier club that his team well, that's won 7-1? That's the problem. <laughs> he, he couldn't win. I mean, he couldn't win there, right? Because uh, right. no matter what, the, the people that are that, – that, that want him to succeed, ah, there it is, okay, fine. And then the people that don't want him to succeed, it's Grimsby. It's Grimsby. No, okay, well, fine. He can do it against Grimsby. <laughs> but, and then the following game, he, he was an unused subs, right? Uh, unused sub on the Correct. Back, yeah, so. I am going to do a Mossy Makes the Case coming up, and it's going to be more through the lens of La Liga, but Pulisic certainly applies, about just young starlets in general and how we treat them, because it's been such a big theme in La Liga this season with Odegaard uh, having this incredible rejuvenation with Sociedad, this 16-year-old breaking in at Barcelona, Ansu Fati, this Brazilian Rodrigo scoring on his Real Madrid debut, uh, João Felix carrying all these expectations at Atletico, and just how we treat these young players. Do we overhype them too much? Do we bail on them too quickly? Just that whole topic's become very prevalent in Spain this season, and, and so it's, it's something that I think we're going to delve into but but it's a good point because I hear so many people saying, oh, you know, we put too much pressure on it and there's too much focus and we're putting so much on their shoulders. Well, if he really is the real thing, and so far, okay, the Chelsea thing hasn't gone well, but he has each and every time stepped up and proven himself at different levels and been a talented player that people want to watch that has been successful. To the extent that maybe everybody's wanted, no, but he certainly has been uh, successful. But when, whenever we're talking about a starlet, we're always talking about this when it comes to other, other players from other countries and other, other cultures. But now that it's an American, we're not going to treat them like we would treat other young starlets in terms of the pressure and the expectation. No, this is, this is what it means to be someone like Christian Pulisic in the world of soccer. Not necessarily in the world of American soccer, but guess what? We are in the world of soccer. And so we should, I don't think we should temper our expectations simply because it's an American player, especially not an American player like this who has already done. If he was just coming out of high school or something like that, coming out of Hershey and running over there, okay, it'd be, maybe it'll be a little different. But he's a guy coming from the Bundesliga. He played and starred in the Bundesliga. He was successful in the Bundesliga. And it's not happening for a million, a million different reasons. And it's right for him to come into criticism for this, this not happening in, uh, in the way that we wanted right now. And as I said, it might end where he goes someplace else. And that might be okay too. But it's not because he's American or it doesn't mean that American soccer sucks because Christian Pulisic hasn't worked out or possibly won't work out when it comes uh, to Chelsea. And he might turn a corner too, as you said, and continue on and do great things. Next up for Chelsea, uh, they are away to Lille in match day two of the Champions League this week. And uh, Champions League is our next topic. Yep. That same day, uh, Salzburg are away to Liverpool, which of course- Who coaches Jesse Marsh, Salzburg again, uh, yeah, Mossy? Jesse Marsh matching wits Do we with claim him as American? Jurgen is he American? Klopp. Absolutely. Yes, I, I was going to go there first. I mean, has just this Jesse Marsh thing reached a point where that match is like appointment television for you? You want to see him matching wits with Jurgen Klopp and what that looks like? I love- the way that Jesse is approaching this. Because first off, speaking of the American mentality, the way that he talked about Champions League was wonderful because he went in and did that whole, 
if we're going there, we're going to try to win it. And I know you're going to make fun of me. And I know it sounds stupid. No, that's great. I love it. I love the way that he has grabbed a hold of this situation. But he also also backed it up. Now, early days, everything everything's new. I think this is great. This is a great test for him. Win or lose, and if you lose, or, or if, you, if you tie, that's that's great too. But if you lose, how you lose is important. And I, I will be interesting to see the interaction between him and Klopp because I think that I think there will be a level of respect that will be surprising to some when it comes to how much Klopp knows about Jesse and the level of respect that he that he gives him. And it'll be obviously relative to the fact that that he's American, as it, as it always is. And Jesse is going through that thing that so many American players have gone through, where you're having to prove yourself even more so because of the fact uh, that you're American. And your goal is to get people to respect you and get people to forget the fact that you're American. Because at times, it can be this albatross around your neck. The best match this week is on Tuesday. Tottenham host Bayern. A uh, big point of interest for me there. Coutinho off to an excellent start at Bayern. He's had three very good games in a row, but they've come against Red Star, Cologne, and Paderborn. Not exactly a murderer's row opposition. So wow. uh, this will be an interesting test. If he has a, if he starts, first of all, because there's a question hanging over every game now between him and Muller. Yeah. Uh, if he starts uh, and plays well, it would really validate things. And, and, you know, the better Coutinho plays for Bayern and as Barcelona struggle under Valverde and Griezmann doesn't look comfortable, there's a narrative building that's more favorable to Coutinho, this notion that it was Valverde who screwed it up, that Barcelona no longer are able to get the best out of players. Now, I think that interpretation is a little too generous to Coutinho. Whatever obstacles were thrown his way there, he still could have handled it better. He kind of cowered under the pressure of being Barcelona's record oh. signing. But nevertheless, what have you seen from Coutinho so far? What, what, do, you, what do you make of this? Unlike whole... what I said that Christian Pulisic, you, I, I don't buy that he's not good enough for the EPL. I think that Coutinho wasn't good enough for Barcelona. I think that's really what it comes down to. It. He is good enough for Bayern Munich. And I think he's got a new lease on life, so he's playing well. You mentioned the, the I mean, he's at least for now won over that spot. It's a long season. And, and as you mentioned, he's they've also been playing against some teams that are easy. This will be, will it be a good test given what Spurs is or isn't right now? <laughs> I mean, shouldn't, I mean, if you were a betting man, which I know that you are, wouldn't you look at this as, hey, this is uh, an opportunity here? It's in uh, London, right? Uh, it is in London. Yeah, Champions League match away to Tottenham, I think, qualifies as a major test. Not a test, but uh, uh, you're playing Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> the other big game uh, does involve... Pulisic will be starting at Spurs. <laughs> you know, we, we talked to Alex Dowd about this Pulisic situation before taping. He's an American Chelsea fan. His heart is getting tugged in I a know. million directions here. It's, uh, he might not start at Spurs either. I don't know. <laughs> yes. The other big match, Barcelona host Inter. Uh, Messi is expected back from that. He's recovered from his thigh injury, so that's nice to see. And we go from an Argentinian player to a uh, competition involving Argentinian clubs. Oh, okay. So we got another. Uh, this, all right, so that's it for UCLA. But it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Yes. Uh, to see, or UCLA. U, uh, UCL. I don't know why I say UCLA. Uh, yeah, that's for Champions League. A lot of matchups. So uh, real quick, with those three that we mentioned, Liverpool beats Jesse, right? Right. Okay. Barcelona beats Inter? Yes. Okay, we're in agreement there. Dun, 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 here it is. Spurs, Bayern? Well, you know, I, I picked Spurs to win this group, but I like the way Bayern are playing right now. I'll say a draw. I'll say Bayern win. There you go. Bayern go in and beat up on poor little Spurs, and Pochettino gets even more heat. Yes. Okay. 
So uh, we'll end on the Copa Libertadores semifinals, which get underway this week. You know, it's not often that Brazilians feel slighted when it comes to soccer. If anything, uh, it goes the other way. You hear people from other countries, whenever they want to make a point that one of their players is underrated, they say, oh, if only he had Inho at the back of his name. The implication Uh, being that anything Brazilian gets overhyped and too much attention. But this is a week where Brazilians are going to feel slighted because there's two semifinal ties. One is all Argentine. The other is all Brazilian. The all Brazilian one is an absolute cracker, Flamengo against Grêmio. From a purely footballing standpoint, you could actually argue it's the better of the too, but it's going to receive a fraction of the global attention because the other one is River Plate against Boca Juniors. Oh, poor little Brazil. They're not getting any attention and love that they need and want. Is that what it is? Come on. Now, that being said, I could be wrong. I'm sensing that River Boca is not exactly capturing the imagination this year quite as much as it did last year. Is that fair? Are you as excited for this this year as you were for that final last year? Well, this is coming on the heels of all the craziness, right, right. last year. So without that added, because I mean, that was that was news around the world about was, what was going on. So in and of itself, it, it's, it's interesting to me, but I'll be honest with you, the reason why I and a lot of people paid attention to it was because of the extracurricular stuff that was going on around that. Now, they're, they're going to have it buttoned down and make sure that, that nothing like that is going to happen. But it's still a classic matchup. And if you asked me, which game would you rather go see? It's not even a question. I'm not going to see the Brazilian games. <laughs> <laughs> why should just sell me? So spin me on that. What? What? Why? Why should I go see the Brazilian games over the uh, a, a classic matchup, well, Argentinian match? Couple things. Last year's Copa Libertadores final, it did feature two exciting wide-open games. There were a total of eight goals scored across both games, but that was unusual. River Boca games tend to be cagey, low-scoring affairs in which the emotion sort of trumps the football. Case in point, they played a league match recently at the Monumental and it ended nil-nil. Uh, this Brazilian tie, although Brazilian clubs have generally suffered from a lack of ideas and been very pragmatic in recent years, these two clubs are an exception, Grêmio and Flamengo. They play very crowd-pleasing football. And so I think there's actually a possibility that, that those are the more entertaining games of the two. Okay. Well, give me, well, give me another reason, though. I mean, I, I, this, I, want to, I want to love this, but give me another reason. Either something that's happening off the field or some sort of personality or some sort of story or narrative out there. See, this is why EPL is the most popular uh, league because they churn these narratives and the, and the, and the controversy going on off the field and, and, the, and the way that they follow the players and what they're doing. So give me, give me something to well, bite into. It's an interesting managerial matchup because okay. Jorge Jesus now manages Flamengo and it's rare to have a foreign manager in the Brazilian league and he's had great success and that's ruffling some feathers among the Brazilian folks and, and there's a little bit of xenophobia creeping in and he's going up against a manager in Renato Gaúcho who I think is now clearly recognized as the best Brazilian coach and next in line to take over the national team after Chichi and they've traded barbs in the last couple of weeks so there's an interesting oh. fun little matchup there there's a lot of talent on the field there's four players involved who were just called up to Brazilian national team two on each team Rodrigo Caio defender and Gabi Gola striker for Flamengo Gabi Gola flopped in Europe but is now sort of getting his career back on track and then for Grêmio Everton who was one of the breakout stars of the Copa America this past summer and then this young midfielder I love Mateus Henrique who's like a Artur clone and I, I think is headed for a bright future so that, that's all where I are got. they playing where, uh, um, where, where's the first so first uh, 
So the, the Tuesday uh, is first leg, uh, River Boca at the Monumental. And then Wednesday, first leg, Gremio Flamengo in Porto Alegre. And then I don't like this. There's there's a big gap in between the legs, which I hate. Uh, it's, it's not till three weeks later. Then second leg, Boca River at La Bombonera. Second leg, Flamengo Gremio at the Maracana. I don't mind having long gaps in between rounds, but I think, you know, a two-legged tie, you got to have a shorter period of yeah, time I, there. Yeah. yeah, I don't like that. I mean, the, the second leg should feel almost like the second half of a game where you're right. picking up where you left off. You lose the thread there so that i don't love but uh you know we'll see uh should be fun all right mossy well we'll see what happens with that anything else uh no that is it this week that is it all right well we come to our uh, one big thing for uh the end of uh the podcast as we do each and every podcast i want to thank you all for hanging out with us and tuning in as usual whether you're watching or whether you're uh listening uh we started off talking about this this line and this playoff line and this separation between success and failure. And look, a lot of it comes from uh, the fact that, yes, this is a North American league, uh, predominantly uh, made up and certainly started back in 1996 by American teams. And without a doubt, also a league that has had a huge, has been hugely influenced by philosophy and by personnel when it comes to other uh, professional sports leagues in the United States, including, and not the least of which, is uh, the NFL. As I said earlier, I like playoffs. I like what playoffs represent. Yes, they do represent another bite at the apple, which can lead to some interesting criticism and some interesting debate when it comes to, quote-unquote, the best, when we've talked a lot about what is the best and what isn't the best. And as I said, it's, it's up to you because it is, it is so subjective. Well, when it comes to Major League Soccer, and I know I defend Major League Soccer a lot from people that disagree, some of them <laughs> respectfully, some of them uh, uh, not as much so. Uh, but when it comes to Major League Soccer, sometimes I don't want to be protective in a way that makes me look like I'm not seeing changes that need to be made, challenges that are out there, problems that the league has. And when it comes to the playoff line and the separation between success and failure. It's okay. It's okay to have that line. And it's okay to say, if you don't make the playoffs in a league like Major League Soccer, that you have failed. And I know a lot of people, when you say fail, it can be a harsh word to use. And it's not to take away the fact that some incredible work goes on individually and collectively by the teams. It's also not to take away the fact that there are incredible challenges that each team uh, goes through and unique challenges that everybody uh, goes through. But in our effort to improve the game, whether it's Major League Soccer or anything else, the more pressure and the more competitive environments that we can create, some of it's manufactured, but some of it's real, the better off we are going to be. And so if we hold teams accountable, and we hold teams in Major League Soccer accountable from doing well. And we set this line. It's not arbitrary because it's an actual line. I, I, think that's, I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing in life. I think it's a good thing uh, in soccer. And so congratulations, at least initial congratulations, to those that have achieved the basic and the minimum level of success when it comes to Major League Soccer by making the playoffs and giving themselves another bite at the apple. And for those that failed, it's okay, you failed. But as I said before, MLS is gonna give you an opportunity to fix the problems uh, that you have. And if you are a customer and you are buying that product out there, you should demand that they do everything in their power to fix that problem. 
and to give you a better product going forward. So I wish all the teams luck. I can't wait to see how this ends out, who the quote unquote best team is when everything shakes down, who gets that money shot of the confetti coming down, who is ultimately remembered when it comes to Major League Soccer. And a year from now or two years from now, I'm going to stop you on the streets or I'm going to be sitting at a bar where we have a conversation or uh, I'm going to do it here on the pod. I'm going to say, quick, who won the Supporter Shield two years ago? And you won't remember. But you'll remember who wins MLS Cup because that's who is remembered. All right, Mossy, anything else? Nope. All right, thanks again uh, for tuning in. Hit us up with that hashtag, Ask Alexi, on all of those different platforms out uh, there. We will continue to improve our surroundings. You will see them. uh, If you do watch the pod, you will see them blossom in front of your eyes each and every week. Alex is going to Hawaii next week, so this thing could all go to hell in a handbasket very, very soon. But he uh, will make sure that we are armed with the ability to do this. But enjoy your trip uh, to Hawaii Sunscreen, my man, sunscreen, all right? And, uh, and good luck to your uh, Chelsea team with or without Christian Pulisic going for it. All right, we'll see you uh, and talk to you next week. Thank you so much for watching and size the day. <laughs>